the Special Education Podcast. Hello, this is Paul Hubbard again, joining you on the Special Education Podcast. Today, I am finally going to talk about my behavior system, the system I use to keep the chaos down in a fun, engaging environment. But before we do that, I want to talk about my experience as a kid who was on the bad list. I think it's important for me to clarify that for most of my childhood, I was homeschooled. In talking with my parents later on, a big push of why I remained homeschooled was because they didn't think I'd have success in a traditional classroom. I was a lot for my parents to manage, but because of being homeschooled, I did not have the diagnosis or the process of an IEP until much later. So the first thing that I'm going to talk about is my life as an absolute nightmare. I got into all sorts of trouble all the time. I was always at odds with my siblings. There wasn't even a hesitation in my parents calling out my name. When something went wrong, a sibling started crying. It was almost always my fault, and even when it wasn't, I got the blame. With good reason, for the most part. But what was my experience, my thought process behind the monster boy? I grew up in a large family, so attention was the commodity that I was seeking. My older sister was the perfect child, at least that's how I viewed her at that age. She was also six years older than me, so she got a lot of privileges. My younger sister was very shy and cute and cuddly, and my younger brother was the prodigy of the family. I can't be certain on this, but I'm pretty sure he taught himself how to read at age three. So there was a lot of times when the only attention I could get was negative attention, and I learned to be okay with that. There always is a function behind the behavior, and that's one of my philosophies going into teaching, is I never see the behavior as it appears. I'm always looking behind the behavior to see what's hiding behind it. I've been doing a lot of studying on the amygdala, which is a part of the brain that kind of is our fight or flight response. And because we don't have to necessarily live day to day for survival, that amygdala is triggered by social interactions and situations. Being a kid, especially a kid of my size, was kind of like giving a baby a mech suit and saying, go be careful, don't break anything. I know you don't know how to use this yet, but you'll figure it out. There are so many kids that end up in our classrooms that have been dejected, neglected, or learned to thrive off of negative attention. I was one of them. I got caught in a rut that extended throughout junior high. Looking back, I've gotten the chance to look at the patterns behind what I was doing, and I've noticed some key factors. Whenever my mom would work with me on phonics, I would have the most frustrating time. I'd get splitting headaches. Now knowing that I have dyslexia, I realized that what I was being asked to do in phonics was the same as asking a fish to climb a tree. If the monkey was the one teaching the fish, the monkey would constantly be frustrated by how easy this is and why can't the fish do it? But the fish has no way of comprehending how to do it, especially when it comes to phonics. That causes frustration on both ends and then the fish receives the frustration from the monkey and takes it personally. That's a lot for the fish to handle. I also had something else that I dealt with, 
which I still really don't know to this day exactly what it is. I have coined the term corner attacks to describe what it's like to have a corner attack. It's kind of like a sensory overload. The best way I could describe it to someone who's never experienced it before is imagine walking into a space that has needles pointed towards you attached to every corner in the room. And they wouldn't go away unless I closed my eyes and covered my eyes with something. I found out much later in life that it was my glasses that I was wearing that was triggering this sensory overload. The way my glasses fit in my vision was causing me to feel like they were coming into my eyes. I still have them occasionally, but not nearly as often as I used to. But there is a big portion of time when my parents just didn't know what to do. I would constantly complain about these corner attacks, but it always seemed to happen when I needed to get something done. So they were wondering if it was a figment of my imagination that I embodied to get out of work. But to me, it was like being in a horror movie. I hated it, and it would often be triggered through math and reading. So therefore, I hated math and reading as well. Whenever I tried to focus on anything, that's when it would happen. A kid dealing with all that is going to have some struggles. The reason why we don't touch a hot pot on the stove a second time is because we learn that there is pain associated with it. So for people who deal with sensory overload or the consistent frustration between someone with dyslexia trying to be taught to read, they learn not to do it and to do anything they can to avoid it. It's just human nature. Don't do the thing that's causing you pain and frustration. So if we look at students who have disabilities in this light, we might begin to see that there is a huge battle going on inside their head. And to get them to do what you're asking them to do, they're literally having to overcome a deep canyon entrenched rut that has been built into their brain, which takes a lot of effort. It can be done, but it takes a lot of effort. To recap, there is a whole side that goes unseen when you're dealing with a behavior. There are things that you may not have any way of understanding that these kids are dealing with. And always be on the lookout for that thing that the kids are trying to get. What the function of their behavior is. And another important thing to realize is if they are reaching the point of frustration, that means they are trying. And that should be an encouragement to you. If they're reaching that point to where they can't do it anymore, it means they're expending all of their effort and energy to try to get something done towards the goal that you're setting. So remember, no matter how easy the goal is, it is not easy for the student. It's exhausting. Think of the hardest thing you've had to do and multiply it by three. All while fighting the risk of feeling like this teacher's gonna find you out for being stupid. It's a tough tightrope to walk, and I implore you to try to look past the behavior. So now I'm gonna get to the actual behavior system I use in my classroom. It's a leveled behavior system that I call liftoff. It's what I call it to fit my classroom theme, which is space, 
and it is kind of an amalgamation of a lot of different bits and pieces of different behavior systems. Here is how it works. There are three levels, each with a different predetermined list of consequences. The top level having only good consequences. The second level being about a mid-range consequence, missing out on a few fun experiences in the classroom. And then the bottom level is the most restrictive. The next part is that a student can receive codes. Codes are received for breaking the predetermined expectations. Each student starts the day fresh with no codes and they don't move down a level until they have earned three codes. So they get two chances to correct their behavior before they move down a level. This next step is the most important. Students can move down multiple levels in one day, but they cannot move up in the same day that they move down. So my three levels are at the top is Houston, we have liftoff. That means that the students have not earned more than three codes and they have all of the good consequences and privileges offered to them. My second level is Houston, we have a problem, just kind of a mid-range level where they don't get to go to the free open gym period at the end of the day. And if they want to go see a certain teacher to say hello, they're not allowed allowed to if they're on level two. And then level one, or the bottom level, I don't actually associate numbers to it. The bottom level is Mayday Mayday. And normally those consequences tie into the school system consequences, like a mandated parent conference, a phone call home, in-school suspension, and also the removal of any technology-based learning for that day. Instead of participating in the fun lessons that are on the computer on Nearpod or Pear Deck, they have to do the same assignment on paper, on a worksheet. And they still get breaks. Breaks are never taken away, but what they can do on those breaks is based on which level they are. If a student moves all the way to Mayday Mayday level, then they have to not get more than three codes for the next two days in order to move up. And I always do it at the very end of the day so that if they have had a full good day the day after they move down, they will move up and be able to participate in the end of the day fun activity. It gives them something to work for in that day. Now there is a lot more into this behavior plan like the types of codes that I have. And if you want more information on this, please send me an email. Send it to specialodducation at gmail.com and I will gladly go into more detail on what I do specifically. But I'm gonna briefly talk to you about why this works. There's been a lot of classrooms that will let the students earn back whatever privileges they were going to miss if they're good for a portion of the day. So if they have a big meltdown, you'll hear the teachers say something like, well, you had that issue in the morning, but you really turned it around for the rest of the day, so I'm gonna let you go to the privilege. That tells the student that you are able to be manipulated into allowing them back the privileges, which is the wrong approach to make a lasting change. At that point, you're kind of more bargaining with them than laying down the expectations because you're saying you can be bad as long as you're good afterwards to make up for it. I worked with a teacher who would always threaten to take stuff away and then the kids would eventually, like five, 10 minutes later, do what they were supposed to do and end up getting that thing. But they still wasted that five, 10 minutes. And guess what? They wasted it every day because they knew they could get away with it. They knew that there was no lasting consequences. So having them not able to earn their way back up on the chart 
until the next day really helps them to think through, is what I'm about to do worth it? Is it really going to pay off in the long run if I miss out on what I know is coming and what I may not know is coming? Because a lot of times I'll throw in pop activities. I call them pop activities because I just randomly pop them up there. I don't do surprise tests because that's a horrible way to make special ed students freak out. But I do pop activities, and those are things that my students know come on a semi-regular basis so that they need to be ready. They need to be on the top tier. And another thing that this system does that is brilliant is it gives you the ability to push the blame off of yourself. You're not just saying, because I said so, or you don't get to do this because I don't want to let you do it. You can literally say, oh, I just looked up at the board and you're on level two, so I'm sorry, that was your choice. That's a huge weight off of your shoulders because they respect the chart. They know that it's there and they know it's consistently followed. If my best student has a meltdown one day and earns three codes, well, guess what? They move down a level and they follow the same system as the kid who has a problem every single day. Students with behaviors are geniuses. To give you a little bit of an example, when I was a kid, I would almost spend an hour to an hour and a half each day in timeout for something or other. So instead of doing what my parents wanted me to do, which was stop the behavior problems, I learned to manage with what I got. Hey, I spend an hour and a half each day in timeout. Well, all I have to do is figure out a way to enjoy timeout. So I remember rigging up the hallway mirror, a certain Hot Wheels car, I could slide behind the mirror and angle it to where I could see the television and see what my siblings were watching on PBS Kids while I was in timeout. But it was at such an angle that unless my parents were down my level, they wouldn't see that I was able to do that. So they'd send me to timeout and I would learn nothing because I got to watch TV. Kids with behavior problems are geniuses. They know how to work the system. The only way you can correct it is through consistency. If you don't take anything else away from this podcast, take away the need for consistency. It will help you in the long run because you don't have to explain why you didn't let one student do one thing, but let another student do it because you don't have those situations. It's based on the chart and the chart is final say. A lot of parents in my district, when a student has a big behavior issue and moves down a level, a lot of times the parents will keep the kid home the next day. And that relieves a lot of issues because the teacher then has a full day of not dealing with the student to where they can kind of forget about how angry they were so it doesn't compound on the issue. But my system doesn't reset until they spend a day in the classroom successful. And that accountability is something that they come to understand. I had a student this last year who was sent home early because of a big issue with another student. And he didn't come for a couple days after the issue. But when he came back, he was still down a level. And we had a mature conversation. He said, why am I still down? I haven't been here. And I said, you go back up when you've been successful for an entire day in my class. And he understood it. He didn't necessarily like it, but he understood it. And he didn't argue with it. And sure enough, that day, he was able to move up at the end of the day, and he didn't move down again for the rest of the year. In closing here, I just wanna thank you all for all of the support. 
I've gotten a lot of great feedback from you guys and I really appreciate it. Please share this with friends or other special educators you know. There are a couple different ways you can share. My podcast is now available on most platforms. It has been added to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and a bunch of other smaller networks. So it should be pretty easy to find. Just search the Special Education Podcast. Or you can follow me on Instagram by searching Special Education. In my Instagram, I have a link to my website and I post updates and behind the scenes content as well. Thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next week on the Special Education Podcast. Bye-bye.